We all need to learn what new songs like that. Keith, give me a note. Uh, I want to remind everybody, if anybody wants to join the church, next Sunday night will be church membership. If anybody is giving their heart to the Lord, I'm not going to say if you want to be baptized, you need to be baptized. And so that'll be next Sunday night too. So come see me, Brother Keith, or one of us. If you would like to join the church, you've been here for a number of months, and this is where your church home, you want it to be your church home, come see us and we'll, uh, we'll make that available to you next Sunday evening. If you need to be baptized, please come see me about that also. Okay, we're in a series called How God Changes His Children. Uh-oh, we're going to be looking at the different tools and the ways God changes us into the image of Christ and takes out the old and puts in some new stuff. Today we're call, I've called this message Troubles and Trials. Go to, with me to the book of James, if you would, verses 1 through 12. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect, and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he'll receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. <clears throat> let the brother of low degree... Rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as a flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower therefore faileth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he's tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Let me say this before we get into the message. Brother Melvin Lane's going to be speaking tonight. And so uh, if you'd like to come here, Brother Melvin, he's a wonderful uh, preacher. And uh, he'll be speaking tonight in the evening service. Middle aged woman was in the hospital fixing to get surgery for a very serious condition. The night before her surgery, she was troubled, and the death angel appeared to her. And she looked at him and said, does this mean that this is my time to go? He said, no, I'm here to tell you this. We're giving you 30 more years to live. Oh, she was happy. She said, thank you. Anyway, he went on and she thought about that. She made it up her mind. She said, I'm going to do some things. If I got 30 more years. So she not only had her surgery, she had liposuction. And she had, uh, she had uh, all kind of enhancements and tummy tucks and and facelifts and all these other things. And as soon as she got through with that, she got her, she cut her hair. She went from black-headed to blonde. And she went just, everything, she had a complete makeover. And uh, finally got out of the hospital after all those things and got run over by an ambulance and killed. And she appeared before, the, the, went up to heaven. And first one she saw was the death angel. She said, I thought you said I had 30 years. You'd given me 30 years. He said, well, we intended to, but we didn't recognize you. So a lot of times uh, 
a lot of times, my question is, does, does people recognize you? Have you been changed? Have you changed that much in the name of Jesus Christ spiritually that people would have a hard time recognizing the old you? We used to see us sing a song called Day by Day, Day by Day, Oh dear Lord, three things I pray to see thee more clearly, love thee more dearly, and follow thee more nearly, day by day. In other words, God, I want you working in my life every day. Philippians 1 6 really should be the theme for this whole series. It says this being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God's committed to working in us, working through us, working for us. You know, there used to be an old saying, and the Bible says, the way of the transgressor is hard, and that's true. But the way of a child of God is not a piece of cake. And there's plenty of troubles, and there's trials, and there's persecutions and things that we face. Technology has made life a lot easier for us, and we've all gotten a lot softer. We've got things that are so easy now that we don't do a whole lot, and we're also getting softer in many different ways. My granddaddy, my father's daddy, he never weighed over about 140 pounds, but he was a man. Uh, he had the biggest hands. Daddy used to say, if he'd thump you on the head, it felt like somebody hit you with a baseball bat. Boom. <laughs> And, uh, and he was wiry, and I've heard other people say when he, he worked, he was a farmer, but he worked construction too. When he was working construction, they'd seen him many times have a, a, a bundle of shingles under each arm going up the ladder. And them things were 50 to 70 pounds apiece. Uh, he just didn't want to come back down so many times. But uh, he was a man. I've seen him many times just work out in the garden when he's 80 years old. In the 90-degree temperature, he'd have his overalls on and his shirt, long-sleeve shirt on and work out there all day. And, uh, but we've gotten softer today. We've gotten softer spiritually, especially in America. Uh, we've, we've had it very easy. Uh, and so I want to talk about some of the things God uses to toughen us up. If you look at Christians throughout history that have done some great things for God, they went through some serious troubles and trials. Uh, let me just read a few. I could read you dozens and dozens and dozens. William Cowper, you've heard that name. He's the one that wrote, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. He contemplated suicide many times because of the stress and the strain that he was under in his life. Charles Spurgeon was called the Prince of Preachers, one of the greatest preachers ever lived. But he suffered Tremendous bouts of depression where he couldn't hardly even function. C.S. Lewis, you've heard of him. He had to bury his wife after a very short cancer-ridden marriage. Corey Tim Boom, we've heard of her going through the horrors of the Holocaust. Uh, Joni Erickson Tata, who was paralyzed as a teenager from the neck down, but it never let her, never stopped her. Uh, she, she did a great work for the Lord, has done that. William Carey, the father of modern missions, uh, two of his children died when they were very young. He got malaria. His wife, Dorothy, became mentally ill. It didn't, none of that stopped him. He taught himself Latin, Greek, and Hebrew, and he translated the Bible in India into 40 different languages. So a lot of people that's done great things for God have been through some, some severe troubles and trials, and that's one of the tools that God uses to do a work in our life. 
Not something we look forward to necessarily, but I want to talk about that as we talk today about troubles and trials. Let's look at the book of James. First thing, the book's author. Let's look at the very first part of the first verse. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are three prominent Jameses in the Bible, in the New Testament. James, the son of Alphaeus, he was one of the 12 disciples. You say, I don't know anything about him because he never said anything that was recorded in the Bible. Never said anything, never wrote any books. Uh, he was very quiet and unassuming, but he was one of the 12 that Jesus chose. Then there's James, the son of Zebedee. That was the brother of John. James and John, the sons of thunder. They both were fishermen. Uh, James, the son of Zebedee, was the first martyr. He, he was killed in Acts chapter 12 by Herod Agrippa I. And uh, he was the first of all the disciples to be killed. And then there's James, the Lord's brother. Jesus had four brothers. One of them's name was James. This is the one that uh, he became the head of the church at Jerusalem. He was very prominent in very many ways in the early church. Uh, he slept with, the, with Jesus and his other brothers. Grew up in that household with Mary and Joseph. Uh, did a lot of things in his life. Did a great work. But he never really followed the Lord until after the Lord's resurrection. All Jesus' siblings, they didn't follow him. They thought he was half crazy until he rose from the dead. James, though, started out, he did not identify himself in this book. He's the one that wrote the book of James. He did not say, James, the Lord's half-brother. He didn't say, James, the apostle. James, the pastor of the big church in Jerusalem. He said, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the way he saw himself. The book's audience, in verse 1 again, let's look one more time at verse 1. To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Now, he's writing to Jewish believer, believers scattered outside of their land. Persecution had scattered them there. And you know, there's two big waves of persecution in the book of Acts, chapter 8 and chapter 12. See, the, the, the church, the early church does like we all have a tendency to do. We all like to clump together. And cling to each other and get together behind the four walls. There's a lot of people who like to live their life like that. They would like to have uh, go to nothing but Christian doctors, Christian mechanics, Christian CPA. Uh, the checkout girl at the store needs to be a Christian. Uh, and live in a Christian neighborhood, nothing but Christians. That'd be nice. But God has to scatter us because we've got to be salt and light. And we've got to be scattered. In, it's, it, it has the concept of a farmer going across there scattering seed. That's what it says to the, the, to the saints or to the, the uh, tribes scattered abroad. God scattered the early church because they, and persecution what scattered them. And as they began to go, one of my pet peeves is to watch a barbecue cooking show and watch people put spices on things. They have a steak or something on there and they'll put it with some salt and pepper and they miss it and everything. Don't even get the salt and pepper on it half the time. And they're not scattering the, the herbs properly and that bothers me anyway uh but god's going to scatter his people he's not going to let us clump up in a little wad he's going to scatter us so we can infiltrate and bring the light into a dark world around us so that's who he's writing to now <clears throat> the book's purpose this is one of my favorite books of the bible i like it because it's very practical it deals with things there's a word perfect in the king james that's used five different times and that doesn't mean 
We need to be perfect, sinless, spotless, never make a mistake, not that type. It means to be mature uh, or complete. In other words, this book right here, he gets very practical. If you're doing these things that he says to do, you're a pretty mature Christian. If you've got control over your tongue, you're okay. If you can handle temptations and, and go through trials with the proper attitude, you're not showing partiality or prejudice and all these other things, you're, you're, uh, you've grown up, and you're making a lot of progress. Okay, let's look at our attitude toward trials in verses 2 and 3. My brethren, he gets right off the bat and messes up, count it all joy when you fall into divers or various or different temptations or trials or tests. I'll tell you about that word in just a moment. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience first thing he says expect trials you can expect them he doesn't say if he says when they're coming uh, there's there's ladies in our church uh kyle and stephanie just had a baby here about a week ago kayla and logan fixing to have one any day now they're expecting he says you can expect anticipate, look for trials that are coming. Their old spiritual used to say, we'll soon be done with troubles and trials. That's a good song, but that ain't true just yet. Uh, we're, we're not done with them yet. We're going to still be doing them. So he says, when you can expect it, you can count on it. Now, a lot of people have said, well, I think when you get to be a strong Christian, you don't really have any trials. I don't know where you got that, but you didn't get it out of the Bible. Uh, the Word of God, sometimes the, the ones that live in the closest to the Lord are going through the most difficult things. So, expect them. Then the second thing he says, accept them. Accept them. Don't say, uh-uh, God, this isn't for me. This isn't something you're going to let me go through. He said, count it all joy. Now, that's a tough pill to swallow, isn't it? I could understand if he says, bow your neck, get ready, brace yourself, grit your teeth, whatever. They're coming. Get ready for them. He says, count it all joy he doesn't say when the battle's over then you'll have joy we always quote the scripture you know uh weeping endures for the night but joy comes in the morning now we think about the joy comes after the trials are over not necessarily he says count it all joy when in other words you're supposed to see it when you see a trial and you're coming into you're supposed to have joy at the front in the middle Everybody, everybody can rejoice after it's over with. Why would he have to even tell us rejoice when those trials are over? No. He's saying you're supposed to have joy when the trials happen. You know, we're living in a day and time when you can't hardly get anybody to show up to work. Has anybody notice that? You can't depend on people a lot of times. I mean, you could be building something on your house and you've got a construction guy going to come do something. And you'll call your wife or something. Did they show up? Did they know? And then, then we rejoice. They did show up yes, uh, today and like it's something big. Trials are going to show up. He said you can count on them. You can expect them. George Frederick Handel, uh, he's the guy that wrote Handel's Messiah. You've, everybody's heard of Handel's Messiah, that great musical. He was going through some severe trial when he wrote that. His, he was losing his eyesight, and he was in the hole financially. He was fixing to get put in jail because he wasn't being able to pay his bills. 
And he wrote the very, you know, the most popular song of that whole Messiah uh, cantata, or whatever you want to call it, is Hallelujah Chorus. And he wrote the Hallelujah Chorus. He said, I was so full of joy, I thought I was going to bust. The joy got him through it. So he says, accept the trials and anticipate them coming, but have joy when they get there. Now, let me explain what trials are and troubles are. He already says, there's going to be, when you fall into diverse trials or various trials, and it says temptations there in the, uh, the word there, there are three things you need to distinguish and understand the difference. They're all terrible things to go through, but you need to understand what they are. Temptations are the difficulties we go through when we're drawn away from our, by our own lusts. Satan's behind it, ultimately, all temptations. But temptation is something that's comes to you to try to pull you away from the Lord, disregard the word or whatever to make you sin. That, that is something that comes from the evil one, but he's, used, he's coming through our own natural lust and flesh. <clears throat> Tests are the t- troubles that God lets you go through or he brings to you to prove you, to test you, to let you see what you're made of. And then troubles and trials... Tribulations, just call them tribulations, that's something completely different. Tribulations are things that we go through either because you're a child of God, the enemy comes to snatch the word out or to do this, and that's Jesus said this, in this world you're going to have tribulations, be a good cheer, I overcame the world. So you can expect tribulation, that's something that happens because we're a Christian or just because we're living in a sin-cursed world, and it happens to everybody. But God's watching to see how you react to those things that you're going to, that you're going to use all those things. So the Greek word that's used for test, trials, temptations, all the same word. Uh, it just depends on the context which one he's talking about here. For example, in verse 2, he talks about when he used the word, uh, when you fall into divers temptation, that word means basically he's talking about tests or trials there. Now verse 13, a little bit later, he's talking about temptation. Uh, that comes from the enemy that tries to get you to sin. Here's, here's another way of putting it. Tests and tribulations are things God uses to refine you. Temptation are things that come to ruin you. Tests are things that come from God to bring out the best in you. Temptation are things that come from Satan to bring you down or make you sin. Ralph Nader, I don't even know if he's still alive, he used to be a consumer advocate. Now, he would look at like cars that made from the big manufacturers, and he would try to protect the consumer against the big manufacturers. And he'd try to see what's wrong with those cars, things they're trying to sneak by. But he, his whole goal was to try to look out for the consumer. When Dodge, General Motors, and all of them put out their ads and all, they're trying to promote the good things about their vehicle. So the consumer will buy it. He's trying to show us where the consumer doesn't get... Uh, hoodwinked or, or tricked in any way same way with trials God's using the trials to build you up to strengthen you to work on things in your life that are weak to grow you to change you he's going to he's going to see how much they change you he's going to try to change you through those things where the enemy uses the bad things to try to tear you down to try to make you fall to try to separate you from God we don't all face the same identical trials all the time for example, God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, but he didn't ask Moses to, or Joseph, or David to sacrifice their children. 
God asked the rich young ruler to go sell all he's got and come follow him. He didn't ask Nicodemus to go sell all he had or the woman caught in adultery. Just like we'd say, there's some things that are a temptation to me that wouldn't be a temptation to some of you. Some things are tougher on me than they would be on you or whatever. We're all different. So everybody's got their own strengths and weaknesses. And uh, so you, you can't just say everybody's going through the exact same thing all the time. It's almost like a bodybuilder. If you ever watch those bodybuilder contests, some guys have got the bigger arms than other guys, but they don't score as high. Some guys got bigger legs than the other guys, but they don't score as high. Some may have broader shoulders or narrower waist or, or whatever. What they're looking for is symmetry. You can have big old broad shoulders and a big chest and strong arms. You got little bitty legs. You ain't going to win. The judges are going to count you down. They're looking if you're strong all the way through. And the Lord's trying to strengthen all the way through in every one of our lives. Now, he says, whenever you fall into these different various trials, troubles, tests, tribulations, whatever they may be, ask of God if you need wisdom. Now, think about this. He says to pray. He doesn't say, ask for grace to endure it. He doesn't say, ask for strength to persevere. Ask for this, ask God to remove it. He says, ask for wisdom. Why would he ask, why would you ask for wisdom in the midst of trials? Because you want to know, what are, God, what are you trying to work on in my life? What are you trying to change in me through this? What are you trying to do to help me change the way I am? He said, ask, but you've got to ask believing. If you don't believe, you're going to do without. Brother Al used to always say, you can pray and believe and receive, or pray and doubt and do without. And that's what he's saying right here. He's saying, very much so. Now, I'm going to talk about tests and troubles or trials for just a moment. God and tests. It's a proving ground. God tests his children so that we can see where we're weak. He can already see where we're weak. He's given us allowing certain tests or trials to come in our life because he said that's where they're weak, and I've got to build that part up in them. I've got to strengthen them. Here's, some, here's three things he wants to do through these tests and trials. He wants to show you how genuine your faith is. He's going to show you, you, we think we've got strong faith, we think uh, this and that, but if, when you go through a test or a trial, you'll see how much faith you've got. Uh, faith is not something that everybody's got the same amount of it. There's, some people had no faith, some had little faith, some had great faith. Faith is something that grows. When you come into the, in the kingdom of God, you need to have faith, just simple faith like a child. But childlike faith needs to mature and develop into a different type of faith, into a more mature type of faith. So when we go through trials, he said, I'm going to let you see how much faith you've got. Second thing he's going to do, he's going to show us the depth of our love. You'll see how much love you have for him when you go through a trial. Jesus said this. They asked him about the great commandments one time. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart mind, soul, and strength. There are four aspects of love right there. It's more than just having goosebumps. I want to, do you love the Lord with all your strength? Do you love the Lord with all your mind? Do you love him with all your heart? Do you love him with all your soul? I'm not going to go into teaching on 
what those represent. But there's a lot more to it. When Peter went before Jesus and Jesus was trying to confront him because he denied him three times, he said, do you love me? And Peter kept saying, yeah, I like you. He never responded with the same type of love Jesus was asking for. We don't really know how much we love the Lord till we go into trials. And the trials will show you if you've got a, a love issue. You know, I could take a big old sponge right here in my hand and you wouldn't know what's in it until I squeeze it. And when I squeeze it, whatever's in it, it's going to reveal itself. Same way with trials and tribulations. They will squeeze us and we'll start seeing the things that's in us. So it'll, it'll reveal how much the depth of your love is. And the third thing it'll do, it'll show you how much the strength of your commitment is. We all think we're committed. We all think, you know, I love you, Lord. I'm going to do this. I've committed my heart to you and everything. How much can you endure? When it comes to compromise, how much do you compromise? How strong is your commitment? When do you, how do you do things? So these are the kind of things that God will test us to prove us, to show us how much we love him, how much we believe him, how strong we are and committed to him and all. Trials will do that. And he's doing that for our good, for our good. Now, let me give you some examples. I've heard a lot of people say, I, I understand that, but I don't know. I can't ever tell if God's ever tested me. You got any scriptures to say that God tests you? Yes, I got a lot of scriptures to say that. The first one that we always think of when we think about examples of God's testing is Abraham and Isaac in Genesis chapter 22. Here's what it said. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt. There's once again that word test and tempt and trial is all the same word. You've got to look at the kind. We know God doesn't tempt anybody. So that word means God did test Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. He said, Take now thy son, thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. Get thee to the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I shall tell thee of. Okay. So he's going to test him. We know that he tested Job uh, in many different ways. Job was tested, and God told Satan, you can do this and this, but you cannot kill him, but he, he gave him parameters there. Let me give you some other examples of how God tests you. Look at Exodus 16:4. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. This is manna. And the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them. This is a test I'm going to give the people. I'm going to prove them whether they'll walk in my law, law or no. So the manna was a test. He said, I want you to gather it every day. Now, they didn't want to gather it every day, did they? They wanted to stockpile it. I will gather enough to last me for the week. God said, no. So we don't like to tr have to trust God every day. We'd rather just trust him on occasion. But they didn't. They were disobedient. Let me tell you something. We disobey God more than we even realize. And we need these tests to prove it to us. Let me give you an example. If you've got a child that's playing a video game. And you, you, they've been on that thing for an hour. And you say, get in there and clean up your room. It's a mess. And they say, I will when I finish this game. That's disobedience. You understand that, right? They're telling you, I'll do it on my time. No matter what you're saying, it's my time's coming ahead of what you're asking. Or if they say something like, uh, 
all right, I'm going I'm to clean up some of it now, and then I'm going to go play with Johnny, and then I'll come clean the rest of it up. That's disobedience. They're setting the parameters. Or they do this and say, uh, and you go and check on it, I, you didn't clean it all. Well, I didn't do that because I didn't mess that up. That's disobedience. You told them to clean the room, and they're saying, I'll do this and that, and I didn't mess that up. What is this? Same thing we do with God. We disobey, we call the shots, we, we put the time limits on and everything. That's what God said, I'm testing you with this manna and just see if you're going to collect it every day. They didn't, they wanted to collect it and it would rot and turn to worms and all this kind of stuff. And so they had a lot of problems. Here's another example, look at Deuteronomy 8.2. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee, to prove, there's that word again, to test you to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. Okay, he said the, those 40 years in the wilderness was 40 years of testing to prove you, to test you. What did he learn? What did they learn? Learned that these people weren't humble. Learned that these people were not grateful. They were ungrateful. Uh, they griped, they grumbled, they were proud, they were stiff-necked, they needed humbling, and God can humble you. We all need to be humble, but you need to humble yourself. You don't want God to humble you. And God says, I will humble you if you don't humble yourself. And so he said, that was a test. I was showing you, see how grateful, I mean, I just delivered you out of bondage and slavery. That didn't matter. They griped and grumbled for 40 years until they all died off. Here's another one, Judges chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Now these are the nations which the Lord left. This is the nations God left behind in Canaan to prove or to test Israel by them, even as many of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan, only that the generation of the children of Israel might know to teach them war, at the least such as before knew nothing thereof. Uh, what's he saying here? He said, I left these nations in here for you to have to fight. You have to run them off. You're going to have to deal with them uh, because then they're wicked people and all this, but I left them there for that reason. Let me tell you something, church. We cannot live off the experiences of our grandparents or our parents. You're going to have to learn to pray for yourself. You're going to have to learn to fight for yourself. You're going to have to learn to trust God for yourself. You're going to have to learn to be obedient to God for yourself. All these things, God said, I'll leave, leave them there to prove you, to see if you can handle it and see what you'll do. There's, there's different types of teachers in school. Some teachers, when I was coming up, give easy tests. Just about everybody passes it. I don't know if that was to, because they felt sorry for the kids or that uh, made them look like a good teacher. See, every one of my kids know this stuff. I don't know. And there's some teachers give very, very hard tests, tests where nobody passes it just about. They have to grade it on the curve because ain't nobody would pass the thing. And I don't know exactly what they're trying to prove. But tests are something to prove something to us. Help us to see ourselves because we don't realize it. We're very easily deceived. So he puts us, lets us go through tests, and that proves us something to us. Let me give you some, let me give some scriptures here. Psalm 26, 1, 2, and 3. Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. Now, I'm a man of integrity, what he's saying. I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. Boy, pretty confident. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me or test me. Let me prove it to you, is what he's saying. Test my, or try my reins and my heart, for thy loving kindness is before mine eyes, and I have walked in thy truth. 
the psalmist there is saying, God, I welcome you to go ahead and test me. I believe I can pass your test. Well, that's good if you can, but be prepared. First Peter 1, 6 through 9, here's what it says here. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations or trials, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, and whom though now you see him not, yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Job said it best in Job 23.10, And he knoweth the way that I take when he has tried me, when he's through testing me, I'm going to come forth as gold. He's looking at the end result. So tests are things that God either brings or allows to come into our life because he wants to prove us. He wants, he wants us to see ourselves, see if we pass his test and see how much we love him, how much we're willing to obey him, how much we believe him, and all these other things. All right, troubles and trials are something a little bit different. They happen to all people, but God allows us to go through them because he wants to see how we're going to act and how we're going to respond. So it's the best time to, to prove to the world, to give a testimony that God's on your side. Troubles are a part of life. You can't blame every trouble you have on God. I told you, test, God's behind them. But troubles, it's just because we're living in a sin-cursed world and they happen to everybody. You can't go out there and say, the stinking devil put a nail under my tire and it went flat today. Well, if you think the devil's, that's what his job is, going around finding a tire to put a nail in, that's one thing. You just ran over a nail. But that's trouble and it's a headache. But we can't blame every trouble we have on the devil doing it personally to us or anything like that. Here's what Peter said in 1 Peter 4, 15. By no means let any of you suffer as a murderer, a, tri a thief, evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. In other words, there's some things that you bring on yourself in your life. You're suffering the consequences of things you did. He said, you're, you're, don't suffer for those reasons, he said. In other words, so tr troubles are a part of life. Sometimes we bring it on ourselves. It's just because we're living in a sin-cursed world. Evil man's involved in everything. That just comes with territory. Charles Spurgeon said this, Trials teach us what we are. They dig up the soil and let us see what we're made of. He said, A gem cannot be polished without friction, nor a man perfected without trials. If it wasn't for the struggles, you, would have, you wouldn't have the strength. God is always building you when it seems like he's always breaking you. God's idea is to build us, is to work in us, is to change us. Now, here's some of the end results of our troubles. One reason we have troubles and God doesn't get us out of them is because we got too much pride. He's addressing our pride. The first thing we think of is Paul's thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Unless I should be exalted above measure... Through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now, everybody's got their idea what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. Some people think he had bad eyesight or had this. And that. I personally think it was just the constant. Everywhere he went, there was a, Satan stirred up trouble, and he was persecuted everywhere he went. And uh, he couldn't catch a break anywhere. He was under constant 
attacked and duress. And he said, he asked God, would you remove this? Give me a break here. And God said, no, because you've been given so many revelations and you've seen so much, lest you be proud and puffed up and think that you know everything and think you don't need me and all this. You just keep ducking those rocks that's coming at you. And you keep, just keep going on. It's okay. You're going to get strong. My, my strength is made perfect in weakness and so forth. So he said, I want you to keep depending on me, not being so proud and puffed up that you don't need me. Here's another thing. God develops our character in troubles and trials. Romans 7, 3 through 6. So then if, while the husband lives, she be called married to another man, she, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that she should be married to another, even to him who, raised, who was raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For we were, when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And that's probably a wrong scripture I put up there. I was trying to figure out the whole time I was reading that, what, we got, what did I put that in there for? I think I gave, I think I gave uh, Julia the wrong scripture. Anyway. But I'll tell you one thing about trials and tribulations. It will squeeze the hypocrisy out of you. It'll squeeze anything in you that's artificial. You don't really know what's inside until you go through hardships. That's one of God's proving grounds. It might be a fiery furnace. might be a lion's den. might be an angry mob. might be a heathen king. It could be a thousand other things. Now listen to me. We sing about the peace of God, and the love of God, and the grace of God. Some people say things like this. Oh, I'm so thankful for the peace of God. I've got the peace of God. Until, until things come up, then I worry and fret, and I'm, I'm just tore up. Well, you don't have the peace of God. That's when the peace of God is supposed to show up. Well, I've got faith. I believe God. I can move mountains and things like that. Yeah, until something bad comes up and challenges my faith, then I just kind of wilts. Well, you don't have the faith you need. It's very weak. Well, I've got to t my tongue's under control until somebody cuts me off in traffic or something, then I'm going to tell them what I think. Well, your tongue's not under control. All these things are things in our life that are weaknesses or sins that God says, I'm trying to bring you through so you can have the strength to have uh, more than what you've got now. Here's another reason God lets us go through these things. To equip us to minister to others. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. God says, I'm going to let you go through things because when you come through it, you're going to be able to minister to others. You know the reason people don't listen to us when we tell them what they need to do? A lot of times it's because they say, you don't understand my situation. But you say, oh, yes, I do. I've been through that. This is what God did for me. Then, then they'll listen to you. They can, whenever you've gone through something, it'll put you in a position 
where you can minister to others. You've been there, done that, and so on and so forth. Uh, here's another thing. I won't make comments on but just give you a couple more reasons God allows us to go through these things. It, God teaches us his truth in Psalm 119. Listen to this. It's good for me that I've been afflicted. Oh, boy. That I might learn thy statutes. It was a learning thing for me, he says. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. He said, so when I go through hard things, it helps the word of God, helps me understand what you've said to me, helps me understand your word, your truth, and so on and so forth. Here's another reason God says, I'm going to let you go through some hard times on this earth. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, it reminds us this world's not our home. For this light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He's saying this, I want you to keep going through them from time to time just to realize this world's not my home. I'm just passing through this. This is just temporary. It's not, it's not permanent. I'm going to keep on going. I've got a better place. I've got a better hope. I've got a better future. I read this the other day. There's a new department store opened up in New York City called the Husband Store where women can go and pick out a husband. And it had seven, on seven different floors, and uh, on one of them seven floors you could pick out a husband. <clears throat> and there was a little catch to it, though. The floors on the bottom, they kept the husband didn't have much a lot of good qualities, necessarily. I have few good qualities. As you go up, you've got better qualities. But the thing is, if you didn't choose the one on the floor you was at when you're there, you can't go back and pick up another one. Once you pass on to the next floor, you've got you to gotta be stuck with it. So here's what it was. A woman went there to find her husband. She went on the first floor, and the sign there says, there's 500 men in here. Here's the qualifications of these men in here. All of them have a job. She said, well, that's a good quality. I'd like to have a husband that got a job. I think I'm going to take a chance and go to the second floor. Maybe there's something better. Second floor, you went in there, and before they went in, there was a sign out front that says, all these men have a job, and they love children. She said, wow, now that, that, that's worth having. If you get a man that works and a man loves kids, that'd be a wonderful life. I'm going to take a chance and go to the third one. Maybe there's a little better. Sign said on the third floor, all of them have a job, love children, and are good looking. She said, whoa, now that's even better. I, want a man, I don't want some ugly old man. I want a man that's good looking. I'm going to take a chance on the fourth floor. On the fourth floor, it said all have a job, love children, are good looking, and don't mind doing housework. She said, yes, that's the man I'm looking for. But she got the feeling before I go in there, I think I'm going to take a chance, take a risk, go to the fifth floor. And it said, all these men have a job, love children, good looking, don't mind doing housework, and are very romantic. Oh, man, that's, that's, the, that's all a woman could ever ask for. I'm going to take a chance to go to the sixth floor. They all have a job, love children, good looking, like housework, they're romantic, and they love showering their wife with gifts. Ah, now that's the ideal man. But that, that, I'm going to try one more. I'm going to see what's at the top. Now, once you get to the top, you can't go back. I'm going to take my chance. She went to the top, and the sign said, 
there are no men on this floor. Because <laughs> you're somebody that can't be pleased or can't be satisfied. Uh, and kind of we're all like that at times. Uh, but I will tell you this. You can please God. You can please God when he watches how you handle troubles and trials or tests that he brings in your life. If you come through it, he's very proud because he's just built something into your character, into your name, into your uh, life in some way that's get, gotten you a little stronger than you once where he's changed you a little bit. He will use these things to change us into his image. Let me wind this down and say this. A man named Edward Eugel wrote a book called Money for Nothing, One Man's Journey Through the Dark Side of Lottery Millions. This guy's book is about nothing but people that won the lottery and how it changed their life. There's dozens of people in there and their, their testimonies or stories. So I won't read all of them, but I'll just pick out a couple of them. One of them was a man named David Lee Edwards. He was a former drug addict, and he won the $27 million lottery down in South Florida. $27 million. This man blew through all of it. He bought a $1.6 million house. He bought a Learjet. He bought a limo business, fiber optics company. He bought three racehorses, $200,000 Lamborghini, and a lot of other cars and boats and stuff. He blew through $27 million. And now him and his wife are still on cocaine, heroin, pills, and he lives in a storage unit. Here's another guy, Billy Harold Jr. He won a $31 million lottery. He did just the opposite. He had so many asking for money, he gave all his away just about to help. And because relatives and friends and people, every need, they came to him. $31 million, he gave away just about everything. His wife left him. And he was found with a gunshot wound to his head. He committed suicide. But he left on his note, winning the lottery was the worst thing that's ever happened in my life. Now that seems like just the opposite of the way we think. Man, I'd like to, take it. I'd like to have my chance at that. We think the best thing in life, to have all the money and all the power and all this, man, I can't think of anything greater. He says the worst thing that ever happened to him. And we think of some of the hardships and the pains and the heartaches that we go through is the worst thing. And God said, that's the best thing I can do for you. Just the opposite of the way we process things. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. He said, I'm there to help you through your troubles, through my tests, through the trials, through the temptations, all the big T's. He said, I'm there for you and I'll help you. I want you to stand with me. Let me ask you this, being in all sincerity, you're either just come through some serious trials or you're in serious trials or you're going to be. <laughs> you're in one of those three all the time. How many here, would, by raise of hand, would say, I'm going through a difficult time, not in my stomach, I'm having trouble, I don't sleep, I'm having difficulty, I don't know the answers. I'm going through some real hard trials in my life. Raise your hand. Anybody that's doing that? Okay. All right. 
I want to ask you to do one thing. Those that raised your hand, come up here to the front. We're not going to ask you to tell everybody what your trials are or anything like that. Remember, these that raised their hand, they're in the middle of it now, and we've just come out of it. We're fixing to go into it. It's just a constant cycle because that's what God's using. Everybody else shows you we're all battling. Everybody else, come down behind them and let's, let's, let's have a word of prayer for them. We're not praying, God, take this trial away from them. If we really believe that's one of the tools he uses. But James says, if you're going through it, ask for wisdom. Ask God, show me why. What are you trying to do in my life? What is this weakness? What is this problem that I've got that this trial is going to help strengthen me in some way? That's what we're asking. We're asking God to give them wisdom. So if you would, just lay your hand on somebody's shoulder just to let them know, hey, been there, done that, or I understand you. I'm praying for you. But we're praying for God. Give them some wisdom. Give them some understanding. Yeah, we want you, we'd like to say, God, take it away. Give us peace and all that. We need that. But, Lord, more than anything, James says we need wisdom. Why? What's going on? What are you doing in my life through this pain and trouble that I'm going through? Heavenly Father, we pray right now for your people. One of the great tools you have to shape us, to chip away, to mold and make us is to realize this world is not a comfortable place. And life brings a lot of tears, a lot of pain, a lot of questions we don't have an answer for. And we just wonder, why me? What have I done? What's going on? Lord, you've got a reason. And I'm praying right now for each one that's in the midst of the pain, in the midst of their tears and their heartaches. God, that you would help them to realize, through it all, I'm going to be here with you. Through it all, I'm working on this in your life. I'm shaping you. I'm forming you and conforming you into the image of Jesus Christ. When you're coming out of this, you're going to come out like gold. When you come out, you're going to look back and see what I've done. You can't see it right now, but you will. I'll just give you a little bit of understanding of what I'm doing. And you'll just trust me with it. Trust me. When it's all said and done, you'll see where I brought you. But in the midst of it, have joy. Have joy, not because it's pleasant, but because I love you enough, I'm going to do whatever I can to make you just like the image of my son. We thank you for that, Father. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your promise. And it's hard for us to say it, but thank you for the troubles and trials. If we'll come out as gold, we'll take it. Only you can do that, Lord. We praise you for it, Lord. May your peace and your strength and your courage and your patience be upon each one as they walk through it. There is an end to it, and there is a light. We see it. We're walking towards it. In Jesus' holy name, amen and amen. God bless you. Keep walking. Keep walking. There's a daylight coming. Come back tonight. Brother Melvin will be speaking.